Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Donna DeBonis. I'm the president of the American Association of Food Safety and Public Health Veterinarians. And today I bring you our special guest, Dr. Michael Gielsdorf. And he is going to talk to us about some very unusual pathways that his career has taken in veterinary medicine. So I'd like to start with Dr. Gilsdorf just telling us a little bit about where he's from and what brought him to veterinary medicine in the first place. So why did you want to be a veterinarian and where were you born? Okay, I, I was born in uh, Kansas City, Kansas, and we moved to a small farm when I was just uh, six months old and we lived there for a few years and we went back to the city. My dad is a carpenter. So I grew up in doing carpentry with my dad. Um, and um, we all, we had a small farm and my uncles and grandparents had farms. So I got to go out there and help them a lot. Um, I enjoyed all the animals that we had and uh, the chickens were you, were you a, horses. Were you a typical um, kid growing up on the farm and all of a sudden you had a lot of farm chores? Oh, yes, yes. And, and when I was 15, we had uh, something like 30 horses and I had to take care of them every day, horses and ponies. And then we took those, uh, we had to train them and then we took those down the Santa Fe Trail in 1965. So I had a lot of chores to do for you know, taking care of the animal. Oh, but that's boy. also got got me uh, uh, exposed to veterinary medicine because uh, we had to have veterinarians there to take care of the animals, uh, to vaccinate them and so forth. In fact, uh, one time uh, the uh, our cow, cows got out and they uh, ate some grass they didn't want to or shouldn't have eaten and mm -hmm. uh, they bloated. So we had to call the veterinarian out and I wanted to watch what the, what he was doing. So I climbed up in the hayloft to look through the cracks in the hayloft so I could watch him. And then the board broke and I fell through and, and, <laughs> and I, I broke both arms. And then so the veterinarian- Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. So the veterinarian God. had to work on me then. <laughs> yeah, oh my God. So he had to provide emergency care to yes. That's and that right. just, you know, that brings it to home that veterinarians can work on everything and we're supposed to be the go-to doctor at the apocalypse, well, which <laughs> could happen any day the way things are going. I don't yeah. know what what's happened on your side of the world because uh, at this point you're now on the East Coast, right? But yeah. here you were growing up and doing horse chores and cattle chores and poultry and what have you. And then uh, it sounds like you're helping your dad maybe a little and learning about some construction oh, yeah, and carpentry I, I, and so forth, which I learned about that. Yeah. 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 And then, and, and, and uh, I was going to go into construction, but my dad said, uh, advised me not to, he said, no, you could do better things than this. And I'm not sure he was right, but I listened. And mm -hmm. so I, I, I went to college and I, uh, went for two years trying to figure out what I wanted to do. So I didn't go in to college thinking I was going to be a veterinarian. Um, but uh, looking around, that seemed to be the, the job that fit me the, the best. And, uh, and so um, I luckily I got into veterinary school with on the first try. Uh, and which, which school did you get into? I went to Kansas State University. Okay, because you had residency there with your folks, right? Yes, yes. Uh -huh. Where did you do your undergraduate at? At Kansas State. I ah, you know what? Yeah, I'm kind of taking a little poll with people um, and, and that I've been interviewing. And quite often it works out really well if you do your undergraduate work at the college where yes. the vet school is. So right. that's, that's a, a good little hint on the side as well. So you were in a class of 80, and that was, uh, what year did you get in? So I, I got in in 71 and graduated mm -hmm. in 74. Uh -huh. And um, um, so, um, I, I, let's see what, I was gonna say something about that, but um, yeah, there, there were over 800 applicants uh, for the 80 positions in the vet school. Oh my gosh, weren't those the days? Yeah, I uh, yeah. I remember, you know, when I was getting ready to interview and looking around and all my classmates from undergrad and you're just kind of thinking, 
how how can they choose and you just know the, those other folks were smarter and yeah you're sitting there and it's like a, it's in that first year in vet school it's a real top topic of con, uh, of discussion isn't it like oh, how yeah. did they choose me yeah it's it's always amazing so but, we, we um, had, but we had a little bit more than 10 percent of our class at that time was female and and uh, of course that's changed dramatically since then. Oh right, good point. Yeah, I, I was um, uh, I've been interviewing other veterinarians, and we did mention too that um, it was really a, a low percentage of women at that time, and um, of course that was before affirmative action too, and and also during a time when it was. Um, when it really wasn't believed that women necessarily could handle, uh, especially large animals. I know I got a lot of grief when um, I was uh, in pre-vet. No, I'm serious. Well, I, <laughs> and I, I was at Colorado State University I, with cowboys. Oh my goodness. It was know, like running a, a gauntlet every day about why are you on the pre-vet floor and yada, yada. So anyway, sounds like you wouldn't have given anybody well, any grief. Actually, we, we didn't give our our girls uh women a uh, hard time mm -hmm. they worked just as hard as we did so and and many of them did go into large animals so um uh, yeah. and and several of them went into federal service afterwards too so so how did you um decide what to do after vet school i know we pretty much are given mostly clinical stuff and well, and your career is so much more on the federal yeah. side and so on. So I, tell me about I, that. Okay, I did intend to go into equine small animal practice. That's, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to work on horses. I wanted to drive around the countryside and and enjoy the, the, life. the nature yes. uh, drives and that sort of thing. But uh, when I got out, I, you know, I interviewed and was offered jobs doing that. Um, but they didn't want to pay me anything. And I, I kind of starved during vet school. So I, uh, but when I was in vet school and, and senior year, we had a, a veterinarian from uh, the Department of Agriculture from the Animal Plant Health Inspection Service, which is mm -hmm. called APHIS. And, uh, and part of APHIS is the Veterinary Services or VS uh, uh, organization. And he mm -hmm. was with that group and he came and talked to us about what that agency does and and what the veterinarians do and he specifically talked about uh detecting foreign animal diseases and preventing them from coming into the country and then the diseases the major livestock diseases we have uh, eradicating them from the country so that our animals were healthier and then the public would be healthier because they wouldn't be eating diseased animals so and that's uh, the, that's also shows the the crossover with food safety and public health. And this is exactly why veterinarians are involved right. with food safety and public health. And, and this is a source of confusion for the general public quite often. Uh, but this right, right here, that tells it all. And so you were looking at perhaps your student loans and thinking it would be impossible to pay those off on a clinician's salary? Well, actually, I, I didn't have any student loans. <laughs> I paid as I went. Ah, I, started, okay. I, I started my own firewood business. Uh, I, I was looking for a part-time job while I was in uh, vet school. My wife, uh, we got married in 71, and, and she went to work uh, first at a, as a grocery clerk, but then she went to work at the veterinary college hospital okay, as a receptionist. Sure. So we, we went to class together. She went to work, and I went to class. And um, and we just lived on what we both made. And what, paid. what were you what were you doing again during during school? Well, I, I started my own firewood business. So I oh firewood. Okay. I went out and and cut firewood. I started uh, with my classmates. There were three of us. We went together and bought a an old pickup and a chainsaw and, and some axes and started cutting firewood. I went down the road looking for. Uh, farms that wanted to get rid of their oak trees and uh, found a guy that said you can have them all and so i spent a lot of time out there cutting firewood and selling it uh, uh advertising uh, i even made bundles like you see in the grocery stores now i started that back in 72 <laughs> doing oh man you should have like trademarked that right but yeah, that I is should've. amazing that is uh 
good it's good exercise i give you that but for hard physical labor you probably were glad to get up from the desk from studying and go and do something like that well i i, I was i enjoyed it I, I did but it was also i needed a job that i could uh, i could work when i needed when i had time to work i was not a uh, a good student in high school and I was a much better student in college. <laughs> yeah. But I had to I had to study hard. So um, Yeah, me too. I don't even understand how some of my classmates in vet school would be like, oh yeah, we got season pass ski tickets, you know, on a common. Like, nope, I have nope, to study. Nope, like nope. I have to read the chapter three times. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm with yeah. you there. Yeah. Yeah. So oh my gosh, getting through school and congratulations for doing it without any debt. I will point out to everyone here that, that was a different time. Um, gosh, 40 some years ago, uh, and the cost of getting through college was exponentially less than what it is today. Correct. So um, without really getting into the whole aspect of student loans, yeah. move, move me into how you first started out in APHIS, and which, by the way, is, um, is a federal organization within the government. Go ahead. So, well... So I didn't, uh, I, like I said, I was, um, I was not going to make very much money with, uh, in clinical practice to start out. They just didn't want to pay new graduates very much. And, and fortunately, that, um, I, I knew about these job offers with uh, APHIS uh, Veterinary Services, and so I applied there, and I, made, I was started out by, uh, getting uh, a much larger salary and the, the pay was okay at that time. Uh, as time went on, it, it you know, you, you uh, kind of lose out because in clinical practice, you can make more money eventually. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I liked what I was doing. I, I was only gonna do it temporarily. I, I just thought I'd do it until I could uh, get my feet on the ground and then I'd go into practice. Uh, but I thought what we were doing was more important. Um, we were, we were, like I said, getting rid of these diseases from livestock. We were making the whole livestock industry healthier, uh, and, and therefore we were helping the whole country. Keeping disease out of the out of the animals helped reduce food costs, and so I just thought it was more important. And I enjoyed doing it. And and uh, in the three years that I worked in the field, I. I eliminated all the diseases that we were working on, program diseases is what we call them. Uh, and that included tuberculosis and brucellosis and hog cholera and scrapie, and different diseases like that. So probably most people don't even know, haven't even heard of those diseases because- Right, it, it is, it's one of those things where you may have heard it once in your life if you know, you're just the general public and, and certainly people didn't realize that it was an issue back then. And, and, uh, and at this point, you did uh, mention something about having to talk to farmers and so forth about testing their herds, and maybe you were met with a little opposition. What was well, that like? Yeah, I, yeah, I, as far as challenges and, and, and rewards, um, uh, Definitely the challenge was right off to the bat. You would go out to a farm and uh, they would be upset because the the office had sent them a quarantine. They couldn't move any of their livestock. They couldn't sell them. They couldn't do anything until I talked to them and we worked out a plan on what we were going to do. And of course, the quarantine was to protect everyone else uh, for getting exposed to the disease, Every all the other animals, that is. And, and uh, so I would go out there uh, and, and talk with them. And usually uh, after you explained everything to them, they settled down and they were okay. And, and then we would test their cattle. And if the cattle were negative, we released a quarantine and I went to another herd. If they were positive, then we would, uh, I'd be back there every 30 days. I would test all their cattle and, and our hogs or whatever we were working with at that time. And um, uh, we would take the animals that reacted and, and uh, take them to slaughter. It didn't bother the, the food or the meat, uh, those diseases. Except, well, tuberculosis does. So we, we didn't take the TB infected animals to slaughter. But, um, and, and so um, 
we would keep testing them every 30 days until we got a negative test. And then we wait six months, come back and retest them. If they were still negative, um, we didn't come back. Um, At that so, point, the, uh, the, the farmers were selling uh, most of the time, if they had a, a, a big business where they were raising stock for, for food and what have you, they would sell them at the big um, auction barns, right? Yes, correct. Well, um, I remember when I was um, looking at going into vet school and I worked with a, a local veterinarian in Colorado Springs, we went to the livestock uh, barn and we went through um, and, and were doing random testing on uh, on different animals and that would involve things like uh, like blood tests or maybe some milk from a dairy cow or what have you and test as we went and that is exactly how the diseases would be discovered and that information would be transferred to your agency so that was the process because obviously you weren't just driving around the countryside randomly checking uh herds it was more right. of a like oh this is a clue follow this this disease and so you were right you were doing we that still, we still have that surveillance system in place in the u.s but it, basically every livestock market uh especially back then had to be approved to handle livestock especially interstate movement of livestock and they had to blood test all the cattle uh, over two years of age and and like you said that's uh, they had to send the blood to the lab the lab had a positive they would send out the quarantine and send me the data and i'd have to go out and talk to the farmer and that's exactly why all of the animals that you see at the auctions have some type of tags on them for identification purposes. Yes, and, right. and the, the, we always used back tags, which is a little paper tag that glued on. Uh, and, and we told them they had to put it in a special place, especially the animals that went to slaughter. Because uh, um, when they, they slaughter the animal, they hang them up by the hind legs. If they put the tag too high, the, the person on the floor can't reach it. And we want them to collect the, every tag so that we know that the blood goes with that number so we can trace it back to the herd owner because the auction market has to keep records of, of every animal sold and who, who sold it and who and bought it. And that's what happens in our food supply. Uh, again, um, we have veterinarians at every step of the way. And in the, in the slaughterhouse itself, there are veterinarians, and that's the, the agency I worked for, which is the Food Safety Inspection Service in the slaughterhouses. So let me um, advance you a little bit past your, uh, I guess you were in that field services for about three years. Is that right? I, I worked for three years. I, like I said, I eliminated disease, those diseases in my section, which was just 13 counties. And, and then I wanted to do something else. So I, mm -hmm. I, I applied for a position uh, at our a research position at our National Veterinary Services Lab in Ames, Iowa. I was selected uh, and, and then I was in charge, put in charge of this research project, looking at how to improve the vaccination uh, of adult cattle for brucellosis, which is an abortion disease of cattle and causes oh. under fever in humans. Yeah, let me ask you then, uh, when you said you, you went to work at the, the laboratory, now was that still within APHIS? Yes, it's all Okay, so this was sort of like, uh, in a way- A lateral. Uh, okay, a lateral. a lateral transfer. Okay, so yeah, now we're looking at all the different places and things you could do within APHIS. Okay, go on. Well, and as we uh, get into the rest of the things I've done in my career, most all of them were with APHIS, uh, at least for the first 33 years. Wow. And, okay. and, and I did work, um, um, in order to get promoted, they, they advised us to try to get experience in different parts of the agency. So I purposely tried to do that in case I wanted to advance. Um, I think the best job I had was, was the one uh, in the field because I got to just drive around, talk with farmers and work with them. Oh, that's, yeah, that's the life. I agree. So when you were at the laboratory, it looks like that's when you were getting your uh, degree at uh, master's. You did your master's? Yes. At the same time, they offered uh, to pay my education expenses, which I said, oh, that'd be great. So um, as soon as I started the, uh, the research project and leading it and doing all the work there, I also went started graduate school. So I was doing double duty. Um, and to make it even worse, then the animal resources veterinarian at the lab uh, 
died and they asked me to take care of that job too. So I was doing three jobs at once. Oh my gosh. And okay. I don't advise people to do that. <laughs> but, uh, but I was able to do it. And, and uh, I've got, I got my degree. We finished our research project, which led to two more. And, and uh, as a result of that, we found that if we used a reduced dose of, a, of the vaccine in adult mm-hmm. animals, it would protect them, but it wouldn't cause abortions and, and all kinds of persistent titers that interfered with our diagnostic tests. Oh, you so mean we, the brucellosis one? For, for brucellosis. Sure. And, and what's so interesting about that, folks, is that is, again, a disease that we can catch as people. And I remember being taught, you know, be very careful handling the vaccine itself when, yes. when, when you were getting ready to vaccinate the cattle. Yeah. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. If you inject your finger uh, with the vaccine, you will probably get infected with the vaccine, which is less virulent than the field strain, but the fi- yeah. it causes problems. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And, and that was a big deal because veterinarians did suffer that in earlier years, in earlier times, in the early 1900s. And, um, and, and brucellosis was um, a, really a, an issue because, again, it, it transfers to people and veterinarians were number one being exposed to it because those right. were the sick cattle they were working on. So well, move us on course, past, oh, sorry, go ahead. One, one other thing in a public health related is, is that we noticed that as we decreased the amount of TB, uh, tuberculosis and brucellosis in, in the cattle population, it also came down in the human population. Oh, um, all righty. Yeah, that's, that's huge. Yes. So and, that, and that's again why we're- the, yeah, we're not uh, hearing about it because of the, the very strong vaccination and eradication identification programs um, that that were in the federal agency of APHIS. Excellent. Right. Thank you. Okay. So after APHIS, what did, what did so, I mean, well, I'm sorry, after the laboratory, what did you do within APHIS? Because well, now I you're up a, to just a few years and you're already moving all over the place. Did you actually have to move for your job? Oh, yes. Yes. I, so I, we moved uh, six times in the first three years we were married. And so we were uh, tired of moving. But, um, but uh, I took an a administrative development training course, uh, as I said, trying to make sure if I wanted to be promoted, I would. But that was probably a mistake because now I, I was being moved because I had done that. And, uh, yeah, sure. And, and uh, so that I got moved twice. I, I, I uh, got moved back to Kansas as the assistant veterinarian in charge of the whole state. And, um, and we worked with all kinds of, of diseases uh, throughout the whole state. Uh, while I was doing that, I also was asked to, to act in the same type of position as veterinarian in charge in other states. So I went up to Montana and to North Dakota and uh, other states acting for a period of time while they tried to fill the position. And then they moved me to, uh, to the headquarters staff in, in Hyattsville, Maryland, and I worked on the uh, import-export staff. Mm-hmm. And I, they, um, they put me in charge of all imported uh, animal products except for meat. Um, so hides and, and um, uh, intestines used for sausage casings and uh, all of those sorts of things. Milk, uh, I wound up rewriting the regulations for those, the import regulations while I was on the staff. Um, and that and- position was administrative, correct? Yes, yeah. Yeah, and that's interesting. I was talking to, um, to another veterinarian and she told me that uh, she was, I believe in that position in charge of 10 field veterinarians and that uh, she did a lot of uh, work from her home office at this point. Yeah. It's more of a, it was more of a telecommute at this point um, is, and for you, you were of course at the, at the agency working, correct? Correct. But correct. you were in the office there. She, had, now I, now yes. it's a work from home position. Yes. If I were still there, I would be working from home, uh, mm-hmm. which would have been wonderful. But uh, we didn't do it back that way uh, in, in the 80s and 90s. Right. Uh, 
so, um, so, uh, but then uh, a, a promotion uh, potential came open while I was doing the import export staff. So I applied and I got it. And I became, I worked on the cattle diseases staff working with TB and brucellosis again, uh, but doing at the headquarters level. Um, then the agency reorganized and they put me back on the import uh, export staff. And I was in charge of the export animals staff. And, and so there I was in charge of making sure that animals that we were sending to other countries were free of diseases and met, met all the requirements of the other country. So we had, to, we had to work with the other country officials to make sure that we were doing everything they wanted and that we would try to negotiate with them to reduce some testing requirements we thought were unnecessary, that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. In <laughs> fact, um... I, I can I can really understand that. I remember when I was uh, working with clients near military bases, and we'd have to help them with their yes. with their dogs and cats. And at one right. one time, I had to help somebody move her horses to Hawaii. It was months of preparation with getting yes. that done on a clinical level. I can I cannot even believe you know on the export for food animal uh, level that. Uh, that, now we, that's a gargantuan task. Yes, we were shipping uh, boatloads of cattle to to um, the east and and uh, to the to South America and other countries. So, um, and I enjoyed that. But um, uh, then they started an international services branch, so, uh, which was not part of veterinary services, but it was part of the Animal Plant Health Inspection Service or APHIS, and. Um, that sounded interesting to me, so I applied, and I, I was selected as the International Services Ep Epidemiologist. Okay, so they gave you the title of epidemiologist, but technically you didn't have a degree in that. Is that correct? I, I took the coursework. Uh, mm -hmm. I had a, a master's degree in, in veterinary microbiology, but I didn't have the a certificate saying I was an epidemiologist, correct? It's just that veterinarians know enough and we can function in that capacity. Yes, I had, I had mm -hmm. the background necessary. Correct, and, yeah. Uh, and that was around what time period? It was 1980. Uh, no, no. That was 1990. <laughs> okay. All righty. So now we're up to 1990 and, 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 and you and, were traveling the world? Basically, yes, and but I was also in charge of plant epidemiology as well as animal. Uh, so I had to learn quickly, learn uh, all about uh, plant diseases and pests as well as animal diseases and pests. And my responsibility was making sure I was keeping track of all of those activities around the world. Uh, with we had uh, veterinarians stationed around the world that would report back. And, and I would take that report, summarize it, then inform the, the deputy administrator of veterinary services um, of what, what was going on. And um, uh, so th that was my job at that time. And I only did that for a year. Uh, and then they were looking for uh, the uh, national brucellosis epidemiologist uh, because that position was empty. And since I had that background, um, I was selected for that, and I went back over to veterinary services to do that. And I, I did that for about, I don't know, about 10 years. I was uh, the National Brucellosis Epidemiologist. I worked with our epidemiologists all over the country, advised them on what to do. They advised me on what problems they were seeing, and we worked together to try to find solutions. Mm -hmm. And um, we are also, at that time, looking at how... Uh, we were rapidly eliminating brucellosis from the country as well as tuberculosis. And we were looking towards the end of the program and wondering what we should do about, actually about vaccination uh, because the vaccine, the vaccinated animals often would interfere, uh, the vaccine tire would interfere with the diagnostic test. Mm -hmm. We're spending a lot of money uh, tracing uninfected animals. So, uh, so a new vaccine was developed at Virginia Tech uh, we, uh, I helped approve that and, and add it to the program. It's called RB51 vaccine, which we're still using today, and uh, didn't cause vaccine titers. So 
So we kind of just shifted right into that vaccine use and, and uh, away from the other one. So you yeah. almost kind of worked yourself out of that job of yes, that brucellosis was, that, and tuberculosis yeah. by eradicating the diseases. That's, that was the intent, yes, all yeah. along. Yeah. Um, yes, yes. And, and so, so now uh, we're, we're coming up into the 2000s. Uh, at this point, were you starting to get involved with uh, with uh, different um, veterinary associations? Were you uh, taking question. any leadership roles in those? Yes, clear back uh, when I started at the lab, I started joining veterinary associations, uh, and 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 uh, at the lab, it was the it was uh, a laboratory veterinary association um, called ALAS or or the uh, Mm -hmm. Laboratory Science Association, and and uh, uh, when I was on the import export staff on the export, um, we were importing uh, and exporting uh, semen and embryos from primarily from cattle and, and sheep and goats, and uh, and a lot of the times we were having difficulties with. Uh, uh, being able to bring the semen in or the embryos in, especially, or shipping them out because the countries would want a specialized uh, uh, veterinarian to, to inspect the facility and make sure everything was being done correctly. So I joined the uh, Embryo Transfer Association. Oh, okay. And I learned all about, uh, worked with embryo transfer specialists, so took the training uh, to make sure I knew all about it. And, and then we, I developed a protocol that, that we would take our veterinarians within the agency, uh, a handful or a, a select few, give them additional training, they would become embryo transfer specialists, and, and then they would go out and inspect facilities, make sure everything was okay, and then uh, sign off for the country of destination so that they would uh, accept those embryos. So this shows how belonging to different associations is advantageous to it's not only networking your and, yeah, networking, networking and, and getting to know the, the, the experts in the field so that you can use that information to improve things, right? Exactly. Your, improve your job, yeah, exactly. Right. So, uh, well, that's, that's really cool. I had um, started to take uh, an, an a class in insemination, cattle insemination, and I was working at a dairy farm and um, I went to unlock a, a bull that had been attached, the, one of the other workers that attached him uh, via his nose ring. Um, and so I went to, un, to unattach him, it was in the middle of winter and it was frozen because of all of this snot <laughs> oh. coming down over there. And so I had my hand and he, he thought, oh, I was just going to go up there and unsnap it. And, and he started swinging it. You know, those, the dairy bulls are mean. Oh, my gosh. You know, they're, they're fearful to work with. And he's swinging his head side to side and caught my, and bashed my hand. It wasn't just caught. It was bashed. And then he, he, he pushed his horn into my hand against the fence post. Thank God I was wearing heavy winter gloves. And uh, finally pulled my hand out and I thought, oh, he's obviously broken every bone in my hand. And um, I, I don't know, I, I don't know if I called for help then, how we got him, I think I walked away and got help. At that point, I couldn't take the class because I could not put my, <laughs> my poor hand, which was badly bruised, not broken, into the rectum of the cow. It would be impossible, impossible, I tell you. So, um, so yeah, I didn't get to take that class, but boy, I got to do a lot of rectal palpations in vet school. And that's, I ran into yeah. a similar experience when I was testing cows for brucellosis out in, the, in Kansas, and uh, but they shat, that cow kicked me in the thumb and shattered the, the bone <gasps> in my thumb. So, oh my gosh, right. I, I was good friends with the state veterinarian in Colorado, and he was traversing uh, uh, some paddocks, and somebody let a bull in there while he was going through and he got he got trampled thank god he didn't get gored but yes. he got trampled well, and they pushed the yeah. head down and i mean people folks veterinary medicine if you wonder sometimes why we <laughs> look a little bit worried you know when we're in there with large animals and or and or large dogs that's a thing 
uh, you open the door, you never know what you're going to find on the other side sometimes. And uh, so, well, yeah, it, it can be well, quite it, dangerous. It, but when you hurt your thumb, I mean, it was it was badly injured. So, right. I mean, that affects your your ability to 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 perform your 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 duties. Yeah, it was a long story I could tell you, but we, we won't go into it here. But um, we don't want to scare everyone. That no, no, that's, that's true. Veterans. We don't want to do that. Okay. Yeah. But but have a little pity for your veterinarian. Okay, just go ahead. So okay. when you were I mean, finishing you get, up over there, get, uh, um, what was we were in the two 2000s? And are you coming close to like retiring at that point? What, what was going on? Well, I, I retired in 2007. But be, after okay. I was a national brucellosis epidemiologist, I my boss retired. He was just a wonderful person. And I applied for his job and I got it. So then um, now I'm chief over all domestic animal health programs in the United States. That was my job. Oh so my gosh. There were 16, we had 16 different programs uh, and, and I was over all of them. But we had 16 different budgets, millions and millions of dollars. So uh, luckily, I was able to do that job. Um, and you were still, this is again, within APHIS, correct? Still within APHIS Veterinary Services, yes. Mm -hmm. And and so within the agency, there are just, as as you can tell, there are lots of different positions you can, do, you can go into. Uh, they're all interesting. They're all different, uh, but they're all in the same agency. And then uh, I retired in 2007, and I went to work. Uh, uh, we didn't talk about the other uh, association I had been a member of since uh, the 90s, but that was the National Association of Federal Veterinarians. And I had been on their board of directors. Um, I, I felt that if I joined an association, I should get involved and do something, not just uh, join it. So that's what I tried to do. And I was, I, I was president one year, and I was on the board of directors helping guide the association and what we wanted to do. So what was, what is it about the, and we'll take a moment, tell us about the National Association of Federal Veterinarians. We as, we have, our association has a strategic partnership with them, but tell us what that, yes. what that particular association does for veterinarians. Well, uh, I joined it because uh, they were, they were assisting federal veterinarians. It was it's only for federally employed veterinarians. There's only around 3000 federally employed veterinarians in the country. So it's a limited amount of uh, people that can be a member of that association. Unlike uh, food safety and public health, uh, most everybody could we be We could take everyone, even, cl right. yeah, even clinicians, right. because they're involved with, with public health. Exactly, go ahead. But they, have, they had a full-time uh, attorney that would help you with uh, personnel issues and, and, uh, and, and a friend, a good uh, colleague of mine, um, was was acting as I told you. I I was acting veterinarian in charge. We called them AVICs. Uh, he was doing the same thing one day, uh, and he got sued because uh, they uh, he and the state veterinarian took the uh, market approval away from a, a market, and uh, the market the uh, owner sued them for it. And he was uh, he was being uh, supported by the Department of Justice, but but he was in in uh, jeopardy of losing everything, his house and, and so forth. And that went on for almost a year. And the, the one that hurt, helped him the most was the attorney from the National Association of Federal Veterinarians. And he was, he was acting in his capacity as um, a, a federal veterinarian, correct? Yes, he was. And so yes. that that just does go to show you that even when you're working for the federal government, you can be sued individually, correct? You, you can, yes. Yeah. And the Department of Justice is supposed to help you. Uh, it, you know, and you have to be working within the scope of your employment. In other words, you have to be doing what you were paid to be doing, which he was doing. Uh, but he still got sued. So, um, so I felt, wow, this association really does help. Uh, federal veterinarian, so I joined, and and then I found out they did a lot more. One of their important uh, goals was to inform the public about what federal veterinarians do, and they've been doing that for actually that association started in uh, 1918, so they've been doing it for over a hundred years, and and they've helped uh, improve uh, retirement benefits and and uh, uh, 
working conditions. Working conditions, yes. But also improving the programs within what the veterans are working in. So, so they've done a lot. Uh, and, and if people are interested, they can go to the website and read all about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, and National Association of Federal Veterinarians, yes. And so you, th at this point, you had also gotten involved with uh, American Association of Food Hygiene. Well, veterinarians and, and at that time? The way, the way that occurred is uh, when I retired, I, I, they asked me to run NAFE as the executive vice president. So the first thing I did was look around and I said, well, now I need to work with veterinarians in 26 different federal agencies and, and, and state employed veterinarians and still work with clinical veterinarians, work with the American Veterinary Medical Association with the House of Delegates. I said, I need to, to learn more about what all these other veterans are doing. So then I, I immediately joined uh, the, the food safety veterinarians, or it's called food hygiene veterinarians back then, and, and the public health veterinarians. And, and uh, so I, I wanted to get to know those folks and, and what they did, and, and so that's what I did. And, and that so, was during, and you were in on the, 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 the transition when those, the, the two associations joined the yes. food hygiene and veterinarians and public health veterinarians? Yes, and, and you know, uh, they had similar uh, goals and, and uh, but their, their memberships were different, but um, it just seemed like a, a, a natural thing to, to go ahead and join because it gave both associations more, more strength uh, to accomplish their goals, their common goals. And, and so, how does yeah. that interact with the American Veterinary Association and why is the AVMA important? Well, that's, that's a, a good thing for people to know. Um, the American Veterinary Medical Association um, develops policy for veterinary medicine across the country. And so uh, it's not only the clinical veterinarians, but all the other veterinarians and all the other disciplines uh, uh, all joined together at the AVMA at, the, at their House of Delegates uh, twice a year, and they developed the protocols and the, and the rules and regulations that veterinarians uh, uh, work with. The, the thing that is important about uh, uh, food safety and public health veterinarians and NAFV and the poultry veterinarians and the bovine veterinarians, equine veterinarians, so forth, there's, there's uh, at least 20 different groups of veterinarians that have their own specialties, but together they're able to interact and, and talk about the different ways these policies that are developed affect each part of veterinary medicine. And, and that is especially important for the food safety and public health vets. There's been many times that we've been able to, uh, to, to inform the rest of the veterinary medicine about, well, if you do this with this policy, it's, this is how it's going to affect public health or food safety or animal health in, in, in the regulatory nature. And, and they, they don't know that because they don't work in those areas. So, uh, so that's the important thing that we provide at the AVMA is, is that input and that interaction. And we have, and we do send delegates from our organization, American Association of Food Safety and Public Health Veterinarians, and we do have delegates that that do yes. serve in that capacity and yes. go to the ABMA meetings to bring our body of of experience and knowledge into that venue. Yes, and and I've worked with the delegates from this association when I was with uh, uh, NAFE because I was doing the same thing. So, um, and we work together on a, a lot of these things because we have common interests and common goals. So. Mm -hmm. And that, so at this point you're retired, but helping out on a, an association level and started your own business? Yes, when I retired, I also started my own veterinary consulting business. I had all this knowledge that I gathered over the years and I didn't want to waste it. And, and um, I noticed that most of the people that I had worked with um, were uh, on TB and brucellosis eradication and hog cholera and pseudorabies eradication in swine and so forth uh, were, were older than I was and, and a lot of them were dying. And, and uh, um, we had all this 
information. We were successful in doing these, these programs, but the rest of the world, uh, well, the, not the, uh, there's a lot of countries that were also successful, but there's a lot of other countries that were not. So I thought, I'll try to work with them and see if we can pass on this knowledge to them and they can help their. Uh, and that's what you do in, in, your, in your business. And then meanwhile, all those, in those years, you had taken um, the opportunity to uh, contribute chapters to different books and textbooks, and but you actually wrote your own manual. And if you'll tell us a little bit about that as we come to a conclusion, uh, okay. I'd love to hear about that book and exactly what does that involve? Okay. Well, I, I, I've written and stuff all, all of my life, but um, many years ago, um, uh, because I had a knowledge of tuberculosis, Charles Stone from Iowa State University called me and said, hey, would you be a co-editor on this tuberculosis book, uh, Tuberculosis and Animals and Man? And uh, he says, also, we have another co-editor, which is Dr. James Steele, who's the, the father of, of public veterinary health. public health. I said, well, sure, I'd love to do that. And and so we we did the second edition together. And then they did it as a collaboration. Congratulations. And, and, uh, so I learned how to do that, at doing that. Then uh, a third edition came along and, and I didn't edit it, but uh, well, actually I did. I just didn't get credit for it, but. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Which was fine. But I also uh, contributed several chapters to the book. And uh, I was, when I retired, I said, well, you know, we've got all this information on how we eradicated the disease. I'll write a a, re, a book that talks about how we eradicate the disease. And and uh, Dr. Valerie Reagan, who I'd worked with for many years, uh, was at, is now working at Virginia Tech with the veterinary students and mm -hmm. helping them trans, transition from uh, um, public practice or private practice to public practice and, and uh, so forth. So Valerie said, well, why don't we need a manual on how we eradicated brucellosis? Why don't you write that first? So that's so it was know. her fault, Dr. Reagan. It's her yeah. fault, yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with her, sure. <laughs> so, so it took me four years, and, and I finished it um, last year, and um, I, I'm, I don't quite have it uh, into the social media yet. Um, I've got a, a friend that I work with that travels around the world and he takes it with him and he uh, distributes the books uh, for those that want them. Uh, but I am gonna be getting that on, uh, on the website. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you have your own website for your business. I'll make sure I drop that into the show notes. And that's the information that when you sign into our channel um, and you see the description of what this particular episode is about, um, I'll have that information there about your website. and. Uh, for now, people can contact you directly. I'll put your email there and they could see about getting their own copy because this episode can be heard worldwide as well on our podcast. And so uh, I found that that people do listen to uh, the podcast, particularly from around the world. And uh, I ask that everybody take the chance to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast and uh, share it like it let us know if there's um, any questions that you have and i'm sure that dr gilsdorf can answer answer those for you is there anything you'd like to tell us perhaps in conclusion uh, when you look back on on those many years of of your career and you're still productive now you're highly involved with our association um, and i really appreciate that on the board of directors and uh, is there is there anything you'd like to say now in looking back, that kind of sums up or the thing you're most proud of? Well, to summarize it, I would say I never expected I would be doing any of these things when I went into veterinary school. So, um, so most likely you will not be doing what you thought you would be doing after you get out of vet school. Uh, a lot of people 100% do. 100% true. Yes. Yeah. So, but, but embrace it and do the best you can and and you'll probably enjoy it i got to i've got to travel all over the world and i never expected i would do that um, but it was it was fun i've got to do a lot of things 
you kept and, your and eyes I, peeled for opportunities at every every chance. That's yes. incredible. But I, I think also veterinarians do so much for for the 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 public in in this country and and other countries as well. So it's it's it, we do a, we provide a valuable service. Uh, if we can let people know about all that, I think it's very important. So you know, if if that's all people get out of this interview, then that that's enough. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. I I want to say too, on a personal level, um, I've I've enjoyed the the opportunity to get to know you more. I think the fact that when we're in these different associations and we get to meet people that are not local, typically you'll go to a local association meeting and that's about it. But these national organization meetings, like ours, American Association of Food Safety and Public Health Veterinarians, means I get to meet people all around the country. And, and it's been really fantastic talking to you and learning more about what you do and what you've done. And uh, again, I wanna thank you for your time today. Uh, I, I, uh, I had a really great time talking with you about these different uh, opportunities and options in APHIS, which I personally had no idea about. So thank you so much. And- Okay, well, we'll I hope people will, um uh realize that joining our association and and, uh, and ones like us uh is is a great networking tool and that's how we can you know we can help mentor people too if they're interested in talking with us so oh exactly and and like you said uh you know here you were you learned how to write um a chapter in textbook with the father of veterinary public health as your collaborator and moving on here you are you you've written your own book so for those people who are perhaps looking at doing something along those lines, is that something you would consider mentoring? Sure, sure, if Absolutely. I can. Wonderful. Well, thank you again. Have okay. a great rest of your day. Talk to you soon. All right, bye. bye.